Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945. Uh, so before we get into the podcast today, I just wanted to say a quick thank you and also do a shameless plug. Um, so obviously the response to the podcast so far has been amazing. Um, and I think we're going to move up to three podcasts a week, probably uploading Thursday, Sunday, and then Tuesday or something along those lines. Um, we'll probably be doing one or two like pro guests a week and then also another like low-key guest, like, like a junior guest basically coming through the ranks whether that's UK or the US or anyone else across the world, really. As long as they can speak English, then we'll get them on. Uh, and also, I'd just like to say, if you do follow us, uh, sorry, if you do listen to the podcast on Apple Music, then if you could, it'd be great if you could leave a rating, an honest review. Um, it'd really help us out. And also, if you follow us on any other platforms um, or listen to us on any other platforms like Spotify or YouTube or wherever, um, following us would also be great on there and it just really help us grow the podcast a bit more and sort of reach a wider audience who aren't already following us on instagram so yeah thanks guys tell we haven't got rory today um so instead we've got a guest appearance from none other than ethan hussey uh would you want to introduce yourself a bit ethan hi guys um i'm ethan hussey and i'm an athlete as well from the uk just helping out uh, Alfie here, stepping in for Rory. So obviously we're going to do a podcast of you uh, talking about yourself, but obviously just for this, do you want to reel off some of your PBs and stuff like that, some of your accolades? Um, yeah, so three-time English Wolves champion. Um, I'm 17. Um, ran 345 for 800, 1,500. 149 for 800 and 822 for 3K. Um, ranked number one in the country for all three distances uh, as an under-17 last year in the UK. And yeah. And uh, I just want to say there, um, what did you run when you were 15 for 5k? Was it? Was uh, 1429. So, uh, yeah, that's Ethan Hussey, obviously an absolutely ridiculous athlete. Um, he's going to be joining us today. Hopefully he knows a bit about shoes and everything like that. So, yeah, we're just going to get into it. Right. So, first we're going to speak about today is obviously, I think we'll start off with the races yesterday. So, the bigger friendly, um, somewhere in Portland, I think, or somewhere out in Oregon. It looks like, I'm not entirely sure where it was, it was an undisclosed location. But obviously, Brazier, Craig Engels, Cluster Halfham, Josh Kerr, there were some big names who raced. Um, so I think we'll just start off with, again, probably the star of 2020 this year is obviously Donovan Brazier. He did the 2 by 400, 2 by 2 400-meter relay. And... He absolutely he just looked ridiculous. So, I just want to ask you, Ethan, do you think he's in world record shape? Do you think the world record can go with the 800 this year? Simply, yes. Just, yes. It is. I just think he looks so smooth at pace. You know, I mean, yesterday his splits were very low 50s, 50-51 around about there. And... He doesn't even look like he was even trying. He just looks so smooth. He looks, he just looks in ridiculous shape. And I think put him in a proper race, 
with some pacemakers, you know. I don't, don't, don't even have to be with pacemakers, I think. But, um, yeah, that world record is um, definitely in his sights, I reckon. And not just world record, but I think he could be the first man to go under 140. I think it's crazy that we're talking about this. Obviously, when we saw Radisha run the 2012 Olympics, he just dominated that race. And it, it I think Radisha, that world record, everyone seemed to think, like, that's not going to get touched for a long time. And it's just crazy that we're talking about Donovan Brazier, who's obviously only, how old is he, like 23? He's, he's still yeah, young. Yeah, 23. Yeah, he's still young. He's not, not long out of um, university. It's just crazy. And after the first 400 on um, yesterday, he was actually smirking. I think he ran a 49, and he just turned around. And you could just, I just saw him smirking. I was like, how have you just run a 49, 400 metres, and knowing that you're about to run another one in 60 seconds, how are you going to smirk and just like he, he must almost know that he's like in crazy shape which it's just great to see an athlete actually who's not I don't want to say he's not Kenyan but do you like the distance events where there's, yeah. a, there's an actual athlete who's challenging for the world records who isn't sort of Kenyan if you open because it's sort of it's not boring but it's like you want to see some other people be up there and it's great to see yeah I feel like it's putting um 800 back on the map again. Yeah, I agree. I think ever since, um, obviously, the Radisha days are somewhat over from 2012 and that, that era of track racing, I feel like Brazier is a new um, the breath breath of life. You know, we've obviously had Nigel Amos, but um, he's, 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 he's been there, but he's not been as dominant as I would have thought he would have been. You know, um, obviously, he's running these crazy times, obviously, back in... 2012 Olympics, but he's just not been up to, up to, up to the standards I, I expected him at, really. I feel like Donovan has just... I mean, back in the collegiate season, NCAAs, when, um, when, he won, um, when he won his freshman year, I feel like then I saw, saw him as like, wow, this is going to be something, and he's lived up to it. Yeah, I agree. It, obviously, we've done a few podcasts with some athletes out in the US, and every single one of them said Donovan Brazier's the best runner they've ever seen, like talent-wise. And I think he's on the right progression to obviously break the 800 world record. But also, if he does want to step up to the 15, could he potentially have a career in that as well? Um, yes, but I feel like he'd be more of like a quick time runner over a 1500. I don't think he'd be a championship runner. Yeah. Mainly due, obviously, because obviously he's run 335, not taking anything away from that, ridiculously quick. But the, his style of running won't, won't, won't go down well in the 1500, I don't think. I don't think he's got the strength of Jakob, of um, the Kenyans, um, so basically he could challenge them. And, and I don't think his last lap 400 of maybe running a 49.50 or a 51 is going to help him because as we see as we see from world champs last year it was one in 328 yeah cherry obviously just front ran it doesn't yeah, he? yeah yeah he just just took it out as he pleased and yeah i, I don't think brazier is at, at that standard yet and i don't even think jacobs at that standard yet as we saw because i think he sat off too much where he should have, where Cherry just took it to him and he took it away. But I think if Jakob's going to be in contention, 
he's going to have to make an 800 wind-up like we saw from um, the 2018 European champs. Yeah, I agree. I think the problem with Jakob in the 15, and obviously I'll speak about Brazier in a second as well, but Jakob, you want to, you, obviously they want to race for gold. And at the minute, that seems impossible with the way Chariot decides to run races, obviously going from the front. But he has run, Jakob has run 3.30, and he, he could have run sub 3.30 that day because he eased on the line. And he also came from miles back. So I'm not sure, it'd be great seeing him sort of, him and his brother maybe working together to sort of keep in contention with Chariot and then sort of, like you said, wind it up from 800 to go and sort of like, obviously not go out with Chariot because that's the places, the pace is just, only Chariot could do that in races, nice. I think. But I think if they're there within like 10, 10 15 metres, if they try and wind it up and work together with 800 to go, then they might have a chance. But I think Chariot's too good uh, over 15 and obviously Brazier as well. He's obviously favourite to win the eight. So, He'd only, I think he'd only do the 15 if you feel like he could get gold because why would he do it otherwise? I know that's obviously quite naive saying that bronze and silver aren't amazing, but I feel like if he's getting gold on the eight, he wants to go for gold on the 15 and I don't think he's got that in his locker at the minute, especially with yeah, Chariot. I feel like, yeah, why Why do two events of maybe getting a, a bronze and, and a silver in, in, one, in both of the events where you could just go do the eight and get a gold? Yeah. I think it's just weighing it up, really, of, of what, what means more to you. Yeah, and obviously we saw Jakob at the Doha Champs last year. He probably could have medalled in the 5 or 15 if he did one. Um, obviously, in the, obviously, in the 5K, if he raced a bit smart, he would have medalled. But I think the 1500, he just looked tired. And I guess that goes to show, if you double in major championships, you can get caught out quite easily. Yeah, I feel like from Jakob's side as well, I think, maybe it's quite ignorant for me to say this, but I don't think he's tactically aware of how to run in, in world champ finals. I mean, I, I have no place to say because I have no experience, but I mean, I think many can say looking, the, looking at the way he runs, just, just watching from TV, I feel like he, he's, he's not aggressive enough. I think throughout his career, he's always um, relied on moving through from 800 out th through the pack, but I think as we see from world champs and then from diamond leagues, it's not a case of that anymore. I mean, even from a younger age, from from the pre-classic and the miles, obviously it worked for him then because he was a young athlete, he was an emerging athlete and he could do that. But I feel like now because he's probably one of the most prominent athletes on the circuit, he he can't rely on that as much now. So I think he needs to adapt and I'm sure Team Ingebrigtsen will be discussing ways to beat Chariot. But yeah, I, I think I'd like to see him become more aggressive and he has done his some racing and he's not pulled it off, but I think that that goes to credit to Chariot and just how, how much of a beast he is, really. Yeah, I think I think anyone in a in a championship race, if you're racing against Chariot, you either like, do I try and go for gold? But if I can't if I can't hold that pace, then I'm probably gonna come near the back of the field. It's it's like going for gold or sort of you won't medal sort of thing. And I feel that's Obviously, that was evident in the championships last year. No one even bothered going with Chariot. And the oldest race for silver and bronze, which is not the nicest to watch from a, like, from a fan perspective because you want to see everyone challenging for the medals. But I agree. I think Philip races aggressive, and I think Jakob could probably benefit from doing that this year, or if we have any races this year, obviously. And obviously, in Tokyo next year, he probably should give that a go and just... At the end of the day, he's, he's what? He'll be 20 in Tokyo next year? Yeah. 
He's I mean, what, yeah, we're forgetting how young he is as well. I mean, obviously, making a, a big scene on, on the world stage this year, I think it's probably his first time, but he's generally been in contention on the world scene. Obviously, beforehand, he's been quite young. Obviously, 2017 London World Champs and the Steeplechase. Um, he's obviously quite young then. And at Euros, he obviously had the backing of um, his brothers in, in, in tactical races. That obviously helps. But we're obviously forgetting he's so young. So him getting older, he's going to become more mature when he's racing. So I yeah. think like, we've got to give him a bit of time as well. I think I think I agree with that. I think a lot of people say he's, he's a great tactician in races because he, he finishes so fast. But I think that shows to me that he's, he's not a very good tactician because he's finishing way too fast in some of these races. It it sort of shows like his three thirty over fifteen hundred isn't nowhere near. He could have like he could he could have run. I'm gonna say low three twenty nines last year if he raced well. I'd obviously come in second to Chariot's amazing, but some of these races he feel he was way too far back and he was he was sort of doing like an Oliver Dustin approach. So obviously moving on from uh, the bigger friendlies, Brazier's race uh, also Cluster Halfham ran. A 1,000 meters and obviously won, which was very impressive. I think so. Obviously, you wouldn't really think of her as a as a speed runner. And then she obviously, 20 minutes later, decided to pace the women's 3,000 meters. And I think she went yeah. through like 2,400, 2,200 at like 840 pace, which was amazing. And then obviously, 20 minutes later again, she decided to do the four by four, uh, two by four by four, whatever it's whatever it is, and. She looks promising uh, to get, obviously, for the global medals. But also, I feel like there's going to be a world record push in the women's 5K quite soon, too. Yeah, um, seems to go, go down in Monaco. I mean, what more of a perfect place, really? Yeah. Um, I think I feel like if you if you think of, of races where you would want to set a world record, I think Monaco is top of the list. I mean, it, it's, it's had its historical benefits of probably being one of the fastest tracks in the world. Um. I mean, it has a historical benefits in, in all sports, really. I think if you bring in Formula One as well, it's it's an amazing place. And I think the atmosphere kind of builds to the occasion, really. And I think the athletes, what they sort of... Obviously, this will be the first... Monaco will be the first global race of this season, I believe. Obviously. Yeah. And in that women's 5,000, you've got Klosterhalfen, you've got Abiri, and you've got Hassan. Um. I think Hassan could probably get the world record in the 5K. Yeah. So, and obviously, maybe Shelby Julian might go out there. Might be doubtful because what's the point in her going to Monaco when she's got what she can get at the Bowman? Um, but she could obviously run a bit quicker as well. So it'd be great to see world record push there. I don't think anyone could challenge Hassan in that race, though. Yeah, I mean, we've not seen much of her in uh, 2020. Um training wise and, and on the social media much higher, I suppose especially haven't so it'd be interesting to see what kind of form she's in I mean if she's running Monaco well then she clearly is in shape so I'll be it'll be interesting to see what goes down in terms of those three big names over the 5k distance as well yeah I feel like when you're at Hassan's level if you don't if you're not getting some sort of record you'll be sort of disappointed so I'm guessing I believe she was training with Alberto Salazar, Joe, the Oregon projects over Pete Julian. So it'd be interesting to see who she's currently being coached by. Um, and obviously, if she's ready to race, like you said, she's obviously fit. So it'd be very interesting to see. And obviously, on the men's side as well, you've got Chepsa Guy. I think this is probably the biggest talking, talking point is Joshua Chepsa Guy 
going for the 5K track world record, Achilles world record. Can it be done? Um, my initial thoughts are no. Because you think of distance running, greats, Bikili is straight to mind. And I just feel like he was in his prime. He was, he was a cl- always a class above everyone else. And I feel like throughout history, he always is going to be a class above everyone else. Yeah, I, I agree. Obviously, looking back, you, I think a lot, there's a lot of talk on who the greatest of all time is. And I think a lot of people, because the, of what Kipchoge did in the Ineos and also the world record, it's sort of an argument, but I don't think it is. I think Bikili is undoubtedly the greatest of all time. And for anyone to beat or even challenge his records must be saying something about that athlete. Like obviously Chep's guy, 23 years old. He's got the road record, road all record for 5K. Obviously, 5K world records, 12.37. We saw Mo Ahmed run 12.47 last week with, a, I think, a 3.57 last mile. Yes, 3.57, so, 3.58, yeah. What is. can he run? It was like, impressive. Um, I think that result was a shock. Obviously, he he emerged last year with a um, bronze medal in uh, World Champs. But yeah, I mean, I've had the pleasure of meeting the guy. Um, great guy. He's very focused. Um, but yeah, no, I think that type of time, it, it came out of nowhere, really. I expect, I think I expected... Uh, Expected the fast time to come from Lopez Lemong. I think mainly because of the um, the feud with him and Porsche Limo. I think we I think a lot of people expected him to to come out all guns blazing, mainly just just to post a time. But no, I mean, even though it's not the twelve forty seven that Ahmed ran, he still went sub thirteen, and yeah. at thirty five years of age, it's it's not bad going. I think Lamong is he's such a great athlete running running that time at this age obviously I don't want to discount him discredit him for his age because obviously you've got Bikeli and Kipchoge over the marathon who are in the high ends of 30s um, still running amazing but obviously 35 over 5k running sub 13 is it's crazy so I think he's I think he's sort of you always know that he's going to perform and a 12.58, if he ran a 12.58 and Mo Armour didn't run a, a 12.47, I think it'd be an amazing result. Run sub yeah. it would it'd been absolutely amazing to see. But obviously, I think Mo Ahmed's 12.47 sort of just discredits. Overshadows it. Yes, yeah. so much. And I feel like, obviously, on the women's end as well, Shabby Hulihan's running uh, 14.23. impressive. They're sort of very similar in rankings at the minute. Yeah, but the, the guys at Bowman must be doing something right. Obviously, they've got. A great I just feel coach. like just the the training environment they're in. You know, I mean, to keep up to date with um, Gwen Jorgensen's uh, vlogs on YouTube, I think just the work ethic and the the time and dedication and just the atmosphere they're in and around it's it's what you want as an elite athlete. Really, I mean, big big group of guys. You know, all wanting the same thing, all willing to help each other out. You know, to run quick, get medals. It's it's healthy. And um, it, it, they're all encouraging of each other. They all want the best. So yeah. I feel like that's that's where the success comes from, really. 
yeah, well, I think other than, obviously than the NM running team, they've probably got the most stacked team in the world. Yeah. Um, obviously, they've got there's too many names to even reel off. Maybe yeah. Centro, Jaeger, well, Lopez, Armas, Shelby, Cole, Mark Scott as well from the Mark UK. Scott. Yeah, it, well indoors. The list is endless, really. Obviously, also I think another Bowman runner that like, just comes out of nowhere and suddenly smashes the time. You sort of know what to expect with the runners. Um, yeah, they're just the 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 depth in that group is just amazing. Yeah, Grant Fisher as well, who um, um, Stanford University graduate. Yeah, he's 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 in that group now. Yeah, he he helped pace. I think on the five k, yeah. he ran he ran thirteen eleven, I believe, the week before. He's easy. He's looking promising in the next few years. Really promising, yeah. which is great to see. Um, but obviously, moving on from sort of racing in America, I kind of wanted to touch on what's currently happening in the UK. And obviously, yesterday I believe it was announced that the plan for races um, by England Athletics, which is, I'm not sure of the exact details, but by the looks of it, it's basically saying you start at four different places in the track, and like 200 meters apart from each other and you run basically solo, but somehow race. And what are your thoughts on that? Considering that football or soccer, however, whatever you want to call it in the UK is like junior soccer and football. I don't know why I just said that junior football is being played as of next week where 22 people on a pitch for 90 minutes can come in full contact, but then we can't get a race of a few minutes, like 1500 of like four minutes with a few people on the track. I just find it ridiculous. I just wanted to know your thoughts on that. Um, I think there's, I think there's a lot of factors in the decision. I mean, no matter where we are in terms of getting back like to normal, there are a lot of things you obviously have to think about that are going to contribute to the decision. But I think from an athlete's point of view, it, it is stressful to, to understand the, um, the rules they're trying to implement. Uh, in, I mean, purely because they're going ahead with British champs. So are these rules or regulations going to be implemented into British champs or is it going to be exempt because it's British champs? I think because I the think... British champs is, sorry, I think because the British champs is British athletics, whereas, yeah. the, whereas the other races are England athletics, I think there's slight different governing bodies there. So I feel like the British champs will be run like a normal race. If I feel like that's where we're wrong in the UK. I feel like it shouldn't be one governing body doing this when one for one, one for the other. It should be in a time like this, I think it all should be inclusive or working together because at the end of the day, it's not like some people are affected more than others. At the end of the day, we're all in the same situation. I mean, in terms of family issues or like, personal lives I think obviously you are going to be more affected but in terms of getting life back to normal we're all in the same boat because yeah. we're all wanting the same thing so I feel like a bit of communication and better organization of actual getting guidelines and, and mainly listen to the people and just and just just more conferring with each other about it rather than one governing body having one agenda and the other having another yeah well I'm all for um obviously making sure everything is as safe as possible, prioritising over actually people wanting to race. But I think after seeing football go ahead um, on the junior level across the country, it's sort of just hard to view. Like if, if that didn't go ahead and if gyms weren't opening, if pubs weren't open, then fair enough. But 
having a few like eight people run around a track for a few minutes it's it's a lot safer surely than sitting in a pub or like being in the gym or playing a 90 minute football match I, I just don't really understand the like you said different governing bodies having different agendas it sort of seems like pointless to have if all these people playing football then it seems pointless to have all these people not racing because the, it's, the numbers aren't going to change because people are playing football so it's it's all it's confusing is, is, the, is the way to put it because how it's just weird because it's just like I feel like because like on a personal view I feel like if 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 we're having to go through this much trouble to generally have to put a race on and and, and go through all the nitty-gritty of it I feel like it, a, a, the track season just should be postponed and kind of just prepare for the winter and yeah. just 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 get everything nailed on for winter to get everything back to normal rather than preparing for something that's a couple of weeks away because I think because I think if the, it's obviously time is a factor in terms of getting it ready within weeks then more rushing and more mistakes will, will come about of it so I feel like if you just it, it, I think it'd just be easier and more sensible because I think people will understand more if you just just postpone the season you know just call it null and void and then just crack on with winter I think people would generally understand more rather than causing a lot of public debate like like how we're having now really or just discussing the issues of 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 what of what we think of the guidelines because at the end of the day I think in a situation as serious as this I mean throughout the world no matter what the guideline is, everyone's going to have their own opinion about it. Some will disagree, some will agree. And I feel like just for the safety of everyone, just to even avoid the tiniest bit of um, spread, just it'd just be easier to cancel track season and just get ready for, for winter, really, just where you have a lot of time to prepare and then assess the issues going on. Because, I mean, winter's what, months away now? So... Who knows? Who knows where we could be at then? But I feel like, yeah, things things for now should just be just, just done with and yeah. just, just look for the future, really. I think what's scaring me slightly is obviously in the US, Ivy League have cancelled all sports in the fall and also NXN has been cancelled. And in the UK, the road relays have just been cancelled. So if all these races were in months' time are getting cancelled in this far in advance, then when is this going to change? I don't want to talk about this all the time because everyone's had enough coronavirus. So yeah. just quickly moving on from it. Yeah. <laughs> um, there was a race in the Netherlands yesterday, uh, a 5K road race. And Wazima Mass, we've spoke about him before in last the last podcast we saw me and Rory did together. And he obviously came second to Jakob at the European under 20 cross country race. And then a few months before that, Rory beat him in a cross country race out in Spain. I also came third to him in a race in Spain as well. And now all of a sudden he's running 13-18 for 5K. And I just wanted to think, what, what's your opinion on that sort of progression in such a short period of time? Like, how does that set out for the rest of his career? Um, if he's 20 years old, 21 years old, running that time, he must have upped his training drastically to get to that position compared to what he was in a few years ago. Um, 
I think, simply put, I mean, it's an amazing time. But, I mean, Jimmy Gressy ran 13-18 in Monaco over the road. So, I mean, he's, he's up there with the likes of Jimmy Gressy and um, he's a beast over the cross-country, you know. So, that's, that, that's something to, that, that just shows you the indication of where he is. And, yeah, I think, obviously, I don't, I don't, don't know the guy, I haven't raced him as, as well as, as you and Rory have. I'm sure Rory's obviously seen him around on the circuit of European stuff like that. But, I mean, from an outset, it's an impressive time. I mean, he's clearly putting a lot of training effort into there. I'm sure everyone else has. But I feel like he's, he's at an age, I think, an age where a lot of people in athletics start to up their training yep. to a more senior level. Because I feel like, I mean, across the world, you you get a dropout rate quite high at under 17 type of it, 16, 17 age, you know. But I feel like if you make it through that, when you get to under 20s, breaking breaking um, that age barrier, then it, it becomes a debate to yourself whether you're going to push yourself to that elite level. Yep. So I feel like, in, like, like you said before, he's, he's, up, he's up to his training, you know, more specific to 5K type stuff. I feel like, yes that's more than likely the decision he's made. So, yeah, I feel like his, his training's clearly paid off, you know. I mean, lockdown has probably been a massive grind. It'd be interesting, though, be as to where he's based himself for training, because obviously we know he's Spanish, and from the news we know Spain have had um, very strict lockdown rules. Yep. You know, you can't go out your house at, at, at times, you know. So... Has he just got an amazing setup at the house? You know, he's just got a top-class treadmill that he can just plod on the miles and just a lot of tempo threshold kind of workouts on there. Yeah. I mean, coming out of lockdown and running 10 seconds quicker than Jakob Ingebrigtsen race ran is a bit impressive, um, to say the least. Yeah. It's obviously Jakob ran, I think he ran 13, 28, didn't he, a few few months ago now and say Wazima Mass obviously is a great runner but I wouldn't say he's on Jakob's level but running 13-18 is just put him from one of the best in Europe at the under 20 level to being one of the best in the world at any level not obviously one of the best in the world but you know what I mean he sort of took that leap from elite at his age group to sort of elite on a global scale at any age group which I think is obviously a big step and obviously a lot more opportunities will open up for him. I'm just going to move on to some um, some questions. Obviously, I put on the Instagram story if anyone has any questions for us. And I'm just going to ask you a few and then I'll sort of answer, like try and add on anything like that. Um, obviously, you've been a better 1,500-meter runner than me. The first question probably suits you a lot better is, what is like the best workout? It says here for the mile, but obviously 1,500 a mile. What, what do you personally think is the best workout for that kind of distance? Um, definitely I think first off I'd say speed endurance um, but no I think I've got I mean from at my age I, I'm obviously concentrating on a range of events rather than just the 15 so I couldn't give you a specific 1500 or mile session yep. but I do like I do like stuff like 
500, 600s off long recovery at race pace or quicker. I think a good session maybe um, split 15s. So um, 753. Um, you could, I think that I, I tend to do that off short recovery. So, I mean, no more than 45 seconds, then I think then 45 seconds and 30 seconds. You could do, I mean, depending on what pace you want to run it at, really, you don't have to specifically run it at 15 pace, you know, or quicker. You could go just slower than 15 pace and run two sets, maybe three. Yeah. Um, so it, I mean, it's, it's all dependent upon you and what works for you, really. But I, I generally go two sets um, just quicker than 1,500 pace and then a long recovery between the sets. Yeah, I think, I think that sort of shorter stuff is obviously needed for a 15 because you're going to be finishing your last lap in low 50s during these big yeah. races now. So you Especially need the speed. Women. Yeah. And also, I think on the other end of the spectrum, you sort of have to look at like the Ingebrigtsen's training and other 15 runners like that. They're doing a lot of threshold work as well because you're going to, all of it's pretty much at, at a pace where your lactic levels are going to be going through the roof like towards the last lap. And I think that threshold work definitely helps a lot. But as you said, I think split 1500s at, at 50 in pace is probably the best sort of way to get you. I kind of like the, uh, I do split Ks at 1500 pace. So 500, 30 seconds rest, 500. And then like three minutes rest or four minutes rest times like four. Yeah. That, that's quite a good session because you've sort of got that pace. 30 seconds rest, you don't really recover that much at all. I think like that's quite a good session to sort of get used to the pace and also get comf- confident in knowing that you've got to be tired and then carry on at that pace. Cause it's, it's uncomfortable pace 15, isn't it? Cause it's never, yeah. it's never fast, fast, but it's, it's it always uncomfortable. Like you've got to realize that it's got to hurt for quite the majority of the race because of the intensity of it. But it's not like you're doing 800 pace where it's like basically almost sprinting for the whole race type of thing so 1500 is a tricky one um in terms of of what you find in terms of athlete because you get a lot of um speed based athletes and then yeah. you can get you know you know your, your five your 15 5k runners in terms of Jakob. yeah so i feel like it it's it what best suits you because I mean, I can't, I can't speak for other athletes, but I'm sure if you're, if you're a 15, 5K runner, you're going to focus obviously more on the endurance and then have the odd speed session in there, mainly for the last lap. But if you're an 8.15 athlete, you, you're going to be speed endurance topped off with a lot of um, distance foundation work done mainly in the winter. Yeah. So I think, yeah, I think it's just knowing what type of athlete you are and, and work to your strengths really yeah a lot of people think that like there's an ideal session for everyone to do and I wouldn't say that's the case I think everyone's so individual that you need to sort of find what session works for you like I'd never do well doing faster stuff because I'm just not that type of runner like I, I need to be working at like do quite a lot of sessions to like at VO2 max and stuff like that which is obviously sort of gets your breathing going but I think that question is obviously the best workout for a specific distance. Is there's never a true answer because everyone will have a different answer. So I get, but yeah, I guess it's good to sort of get like a generic sort of session. What, what sort of works for the people who are obviously doing like yourself who are very successful in that event. Um, 
another question I've got for you is which three do you think will make the GB815 in Tokyo? It's a tricky one because, you know, we've got a lot of upcoming athletes in the UK in terms of 800. I mean, you know, you might have seen um, across the social medias, Europeans last year, you know, three Spitfires, you know, you, Oliver Dustin, uh, Finn McClare and Ben Patterson, you know. So obviously they're going to be in and around there, I'm sure, in terms of qualification and the times. But, I mean, and then there's Max Bergen, you know, outstanding athlete, 145, but um, has been um, hard hit to in, uh, a few injuries recently. So, but I feel like, I feel like, um, I feel like one will be Carl Langford. Yep. Yeah. Jamie Webb. Yep. I think could be pushing selection there. And then I think Max Bergen will, will sneak himself in there. Yeah. Yeah. I think assuming that no one doubles up, I think if, I think it's impossible to double up at the British champs actually, isn't it? Yeah. But I was, I would say Jake Whiteman as well, but I don't, I think he'll go for 1500, obviously getting fourth at Worlds. It's kind of stupid yeah. for him to go. Um, but yeah, I agree with that. I'd probably say, I'd probably say them, them three, maybe Elliot Giles in there instead of Kyle or yeah. Max. Um, I, feel, I think, I think with the 800, it's, it's unpredictable really because I feel like they're all, because there's so many athletes in and around the 144 to 146 time, like time slot in the 800. It, it, it's anyone's game. Yeah. Really. Yeah. And I, I think, think it, it, it's like the 1500 as well. You know, you've got the three Scotsmans, you know, Chris O'Hare, Whiteman, um, and Kerr, but then also you've got Neil Gawley, Charlie Grice. Then you've got the up-and-coming runs, you know, Jake Haywood out in OTC, then Piers Copeland. West. You've got, yeah, James West. You've got, you've got so many athletes now, I think, over in the UK. That is unpredictable, I think. They're all great, but it, it, I think it's just who gets it right on that day, really, at the champs. I agree, I agree. But if you had to put a, a, a three on the 1500, who would it be? Obviously, let's not talk about... I guess it does... Yeah, I guess you do have to take into consideration the British champs race. So... I was going to say, let's not talk about who who just thinks the best out of them three, but I guess you would have taken into consideration. So, the I think three. Jake Whiteman for me. Jake Whiteman. Yeah, Jake Whiteman for sure. I feel like um, Charlie Grice as well. You know, you don't know. I mean, he's obviously the quickest Brit, 3.30 at Monaco last year. Yeah. But he just didn't seem to get it tactically right last year on the circuit, you know, um, missing out on a, on a few um, selections. But... I think he's he's always there, you know. Don't cut him out like, just because just because he he wasn't tactically there last season. But if he gets his tactic rights, well then, one of the best in the world for sure. I think definitely definitely um, could could be sneaking a medal, you know. Because obviously three thirty is, is an amazing time. But I think my my three would be Whiteman, Grice, and Kerr. I agree. I think it's too soon for the likes of Jake Haywood, George Mills, Copeland and Josh Lay. I think they'll do well with the Europeans uh, next year if they get selected. Obviously, we're forgetting Chris O'Hare as well. It was a great race, but it's weird having such a, a stacked distance in the UK at the minute. Like It's strange because it seems like it hasn't been the last few, like this for years. And obviously, yeah. we had three finalists in the 1500. I think 
no other team had three finalists in any race in the world, like at the World Champs last year. So, yeah, you know, in terms of that, I think, I think putting, I think they're going to that race. I mean, I could be completely wrong here, but I could be, I could be spot on. I mean, I think if something like that's going to happen more often with three Brits in the final, two Brits in the final, then there's no reason why they can't work together. Yeah. You know, adopt the Ingebrigtsen um, theory of just working together, you know, because at the end of the day, you're all in the final at once. So you all want the best for each other at the end of the day, like even if you are racing against each other because you are compatriots. So work together and, and, and you know, use it to your favour rather than just go out there individually. Yeah, I agree. I think it's going to be tough to obviously medal. And I feel like with Kerr, Grice likes going out. I feel like Grice isn't sort of the guy to kick. So I'm guessing him and Kerr would be happy to run hard from the gun. So And then obviously Whiteman's got such a strong finish. I think that'd work, work quite well together. Like if all three of them sort of, obviously you've got Kerr and Grice taking it out near the front and then Whiteman's sort of slightly behind and then all finishing strong. It could, it could be good to see. I feel like, I don't know. In the minute, the fifteen hundred so has so much depth. It'll be tricky, but anything can happen. Obviously, you've got like Lemondowski who medaled last year. You've got Whiteman who came fourth. So it's what it's like every race at the minute. I feel like we're very lucky at this time in the distance races, anyway, to have so many runners who could medal. Yeah. Right. So moving away from races, I want to talk a bit, a little bit about shoes, and obviously the sort of shoes that are coming out, which is there's quite a lot obviously out at the minute so you obviously got the spikes first so the nike dragonflies and the air zoom victory there's always controversy surrounding nike shoes at the minute and i just want to know your thoughts on sort of those shoes specifically and also the thoughts of people criticizing people running fast times purely basing it on the shoes rather than the actual athlete's ability um i think i'll just address the people's criticism first at the end of the day, you still got to train. Yeah. You still have to train, you know. But I think with benefits comes its negatives. You know, a lot of people might not adapt to this new technology Nike, Nike using in their, in, in their shoes and the trainers and might pick up a few injuries, you know. I know a few people that, um, from using the Vaporflies, like the, next, the next percents, and um, I mean, I'm not sure about the alpha flies because obviously they, they're still being tested thoroughly by athletes in terms of like publicly. But I think a lot of people from the Vaporfly Next Percents had a few issues, you know, in and around the ankle, knee area. Yeah. Because although they, they claim to have massive benefits, not that I can obviously reap them uh, because I'm not a marathon runner per se, but... Um, it puts you in an unnatural running position. So a lot of a lot of um, injuries and tight tight muscles come about from there and athletes aren't used to it, so they don't know how to deal with it, leading them to injury. So I feel like you can't really be quick to criticize. I think I can't like I mean, I'm gonna put it out there like I, I'm supported by Nike, but I'm not, I'm not going to be biased in a way. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm never biased in my opinion. I mean, although some people might think it because I am supported by them, I'll, I'll always look at the both sides of it. But end of the day, people slate Nike for it. 
I feel like it's quite wrong because it's like, oh, Nike are doing this, Nike are doing that. The, the, the technology's out there. It clearly is because it's been done. So it's not, it's, it's not stopping anyone else. Yeah, I think as well, you've got to look at things like, yes, the, the Vaporfly helps over the marathon distance. It's a great shoe. And it's, it's sort of like optimizing what you could do as a runner. And I think that's yeah. what we need. Like in many other sports, let's, let's talk about like tennis, let's talk about cycling, let's talk about F1. They're all innovating the bikes, innovating the tennis rackets, innovating the Formula One cars to make, to optimize that driver's performance. And like you said, you've still got to train. And fair enough, records might go a bit easier, but records are there to be broken. And it's not just the individual running. It's also the world as a whole trying to break those records. Yeah. Like you look at swimming, for example. Swimming records get beaten every week. Like world records in swimming beaten like every few months over every distance. So it's, I feel like track is sort of had some times where the technology has been stagnant for years and years and years and now just because some people have come along and made better shoes what yeah. sort of obviously they are better but you're not going to run quicker if if you're not training hard like shelby julian for example she ran in the old victories the victory twos in that 5k time trial mm. and she ran 14 23 i mean brage has been wearing them as well yeah it, it's <laughs> it's it's not like people are shattering like, records left right and center yeah I mean, what are people going to say if if Brazier does beat beat Radisha's um, world record? From he's an Adidas athlete, but what happens if he, he breaks it and he's not in them? It, it just because he's a Nike athlete, does that get lo- lo- overlooked? Yeah, and also you've got to look at like the example of the ten k road world record. Obviously, Ronix Kibruto ran in an Adidas Takumi Sen Six, a production Adidas shoe. He wore an Adidas flat. And broke Joshua Teptegai's Joshua Teptegai's 10k road world record when Joshua Teptegai was wearing the next percents. It doesn't make sense. If if you're saying this shoe helps you run four percent quicker or whatever, obviously it's, it's not. Yeah, it's not four percent quicker. It's more yeah. like four percent energy return, isn't it? Yeah, but obviously if you if you're saying that this shoe's better, then why is someone who's losing to Joshua Teptegai in the world champs absolutely shattering his road world record in a normal flat? It's it's obviously there's it's it's always going to be one of them things where there's people on one side of the fence going to say it's an unfair advantage and then people on the other side of the fence saying it's fine. But I think at the end of the day, there's much there's in our sport at the minute there's a lot of other people gaining unfair advantages in other ways. What needs to be tackled first as well? Yeah. And obviously there's no yeah we don't need to I talk feel like about as that. Well, I think another way to look. At the, the the Nike problem that people are, are, call, are calling it, I think they're a dominant global business. Yeah. That if you look at Diamond League start lines, you know, 95% of the athletes on the start line will be Nike. Yeah. So, what benefits are they genuinely gaining? Because they're all wearing them. And they'll be they're the best wearing, ones in the world anyway. Yeah, they're all wearing these trainers, bar maybe one or two IF athletes and then your rod and your balance athlete. So at the end of the day, this Nike, this battle with Nike, like the Nike athletes are having in terms of the criticism they're receiving, is it genuine? Because Nike generally like flood the market because 
end of the day, they're a business. They're going to do what's best for them. And if that means having the most athletes on the start line, like, like putting themselves out there, well, then they're going to do it. Because at the end of the day, no matter what bad media or bad criticism they're going to get, they're still selling out. Like yeah. these alpha flies, what the price start? £250 in the UK? So I think they're it. selling out. I think as well, it's the first time the sport has sort of been commercialised. And it's obviously not great to sell out all the time, like make the sport just about money. But athletes yeah. aren't getting enough recognition globally. And I feel like obviously there's a few more issues like in the event setups and things like we which we could talk about as well if you want. But it's like the first time there's been hype around anything since you came on. Yeah. Like it's not it's not like there's we have loads of hype about like runners or shoes or products or whatever. There's we never have it. So it's great to see. And yeah. I I, I, can't, I don't have a problem with it. If obviously there's a cut off point where the shoes will literally be help helping you cut cut like 10 seconds off your pb or whatever but at the minute i think they're obviously wet having worn the vapor flies yeah i mean they are great shoes but they're not they're not like game changers yeah i feel like for athletes i think you constantly speak to elite athletes you know what is their training all about? You know, you're at a point where you're on the world circuit. What 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 are you doing to improve it? It's the one percent. It's like the one percent gains that the end. And these shoes aren't gonna get you from make, not making it out of an Olympic heat to to winning the Olympic final because, like, it's possible you could like one athlete could like within a four year, but it's not solely down to the shoes because I think. You're not like let's put Usain Bolt in his prime, you know, Puma athlete, you know, head of Puma, star boy. Put Christian Coleman in his prime. Well, put Christian Coleman at the moment. Yeah, okay, he's got a lot of media heat against him at the moment. But put both of them in their prime, put Bolt in his Puma shoes, put Christian Coleman in his Nike these super flies, he's still not gonna beat Bolt. It's a freak of nature. Yeah. You know, until he runs, until he runs, um, that is sub nine point five eight. You can't even talk about these sprint spikes being amazing because Bolt's done it in a in a carbon fiber bloody um, Puma spike. Yeah, and I think as but well. Like, yeah, I just think it, it, it's 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 unfair to say Kipchoge wouldn't break the marathon world records. So, like, he probably would have broken the world records anyway with the marathon. And people saying it's only because of the shoes that he broke those world records. I don't really think that's fair. And no. It's it's one of them. Bekele obviously will will probably beat Kipchoge's world record, but Kipchoge will probably beat that as well. So it's like, if the best runners ever are the breaking the records, then why is it like even, why are people saying it's the shoes? When they're literally the greatest of all time. Like the greatest of all time will still have the records. It's not like, Bolt's record's going to get beaten because Noah Lyles is wearing a carbon fiber, like a, a, a mad technology shoe. Like, Bolt's records aren't going to get beaten because of these, these new sprint spikes. Yeah, he was a freak of nature at the end of the day, and I don't, I don't, I don't see those, those records getting beat for a long time. I mean, I don't even see his 200 going, you know, even by Noah Lyles or if Wade Van Nico gets back to his own prime. I still don't see them. I still don't see him going for a long, long time because. He was a freak of nature. 
what what do you uh, on that? What what world records do you think are the biggest threat? Obviously, across the men and women's distances, and also obviously the sprints as well. What do you think is like the biggest threat? Like what's going to go next? Um, you've obviously got your eight hundred. You know, we spoke about Donovan Brazier. I mean, I, I've made my claim that I think he's going to be the first person to go under one forty. I mean, say what you will about my claim, but I, th- I think it is possible. You know, he he, he looks like he could, but. I think, like we spoke about again, you know, the upcoming Monaco Diamond League for the five Ks going under threat. I think I think modern distance races are as well, but I think there's not much to say about the marathon because it's the marathon is always under threat. Yeah, um, it, it, it's yeah, it's always under threat. But I think one I don't see going for, for quite a while is the fifteen hundred. Yeah, if you think about how dominant Chariot is, he's still at least, what is he, over two seconds, two seconds off the yeah. yeah, just over two seconds off of it. And, the, I mean, the closest person to that world record was Asbel Kiprop. And any athletics fan knows Asbel Kiprop now. So, yeah, I think that kind of just puts into perspective how hard that record is to beat in terms of how Chariot's performing in the 15. He's not, he's not world record performing. He's is 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 consistently two twenty, two twenty eight, two twenty nine, three twenty eight, three twenty nine. He he's not, he's not, he's he's got over two seconds to take off, and that's a lot over fifteen. Yeah. So yeah, I don't think that's going to be challenged anytime soon. I think as well for any sprints or hurdlers listening, I think pretty much all the. 400 and 400 hurdle records are going to go quite soon. I think Norman will get the Wade Van Niekerk's world record in the 400. I think Walholm will break the 400 hurdles world record. I think Miller will break the women's 400 world record. And what about the Bahamas? No, I, <laughs> she, she ran she ran an amazing race the other day, didn't yeah. she? But is that a potential 200 meter runner there now? I can't see a beat in the likes of Dean Asher Smith uh, at the minute. So, what is the yeah. women's two hundred meter record? Twenty-one three four by Florence, Florence Griffith Joyner. So you're talking 1988. It's a long time ago. That's yeah. <sighs> it's it's two years ago. Yeah. Uh, no, that's not going to get beat. I don't think. Anytime it's soon, fast. yeah. Um, the 400 world record, even though it's everyone always says that for women's 400 meter world record is not uh, held by a woman, by a woman, but yeah. I, I reckon that's going to go quite soon. Miller Weaver looks way too quick. Obviously, the 300 she ran last year would have absolutely blown out the water, and then Walholm and Benjamin are both capable of running the 400 hurdles world record in the right race. Yeah, I think it'll be Warholm to take it. Yeah, I think we're. Then, I think I think they'll both break it in the same race, but it'll be Warholm to win the race. Yeah, I think we're at a very exciting time at the minute in in all aspects of the sport. To obviously finish up this podcast, I want to quickly talk about Mo Farah and obviously his current sort of record attempts at the one-hour world record. It's currently held by Haile Gabriel Selassie, and I think he's going for it in early September um, obviously one hour around a track 
do you believe he has any chance of running what Heiliger Brasassi ran, which I believe is going through the half marathon in 59.30-ish, and then obviously carrying on for 30 seconds. Um, um, can he do that? Don't get me wrong. Mo Farah, you know, he's dominant. You know, from 2012 onwards, 2011 onwards, he's been dominant. His marathon stint hasn't been successful as many thought, mainly due because he he hasn't given it as much time as maybe Kipchoge and the others have. He might yeah. he's, he's he's going to be close, but I think the biggest factor for me is that when you look at Gabriel Selassie and the Bikelis, they still ran very quick times as well as winning medals. Mm. And you know, many people say look. You can win medals, but like you can win medals, you don't have to run ridiculously quick. But I feel like if you go in for a record like this, you're gonna have to run quick. And Mo's never proved that because he's he's never contended a world record. Apart from the indoor side of things, but yeah, apart from indoor, but like in terms of outdoors, like five k, ten k stuff, he's never genuinely pushed it in terms of how maybe chapter guy is doing at the moment. Um, so I feel like I think that's something that I ha- that I thought about, but no, I feel like I mean, again, not take away from him. The guy's a Olymp- multi multi time Olympic champion. He's he obviously will do very great, and he's clearly going to be in shape for it. I mean, look at his Instagrams, his Instagram posts. He's looking in shape. He's looking smooth. But it'll be interesting. Just going to fun as well. Altitude yeah. training, as well. Sorry, as well as that. Then Tokyo next year. He's obviously doing the ten k. What do we reckon in that? Because you've got Kajelchi, you've got Kip Bruto, you've got Cheptegai, you've got Gabriel, all sort of getting into their prime now. Very fast finishers. What is his chances in the 10K next year in Tokyo? Again, it'll come down to how fast he can finish, whether he still has the legs to, to drop a 50 to 52 last lap. Yeah. I, th- I think it's going to come down to that because... When you're a five five k to a marathon runner, it's easy to plod in the miles, you know, to get to, to get the mileage up in terms to run the times and compete at that high level. I think the difference is those finishing first to those finishing just out of the medal positions is their ability to finish in a very quick last four hundred, and that's what Mo was so brilliant at. Yeah, yeah. Um, all credit to him for that. You know, he he, he dominated. He he. he he put himself, he asserted himself in the race. And I think I think he'll be up there. But I feel like he'll just miss out. Yeah. Well I think if I was Chepter Guy and Kip Bruto, I'd just be like, let's work together and drop a twenty six twenty five. Like a twenty six twenty five to twenty six thirty. No one's gonna be near him. <laughs> It'll be yeah. as simple as that. I think if it is left to a kick I think Mo will finish second behind Chapter Guy. Yeah, I mean Mo's quick, without a doubt. What he ended British record of over over fifteen hundred as well. Yeah, like, crazy. The endless the endless races that he's finished in a 50, a low fifty. It's ridiculous, but I think I think that was a problem when he was when he was in, when Mo was in his prime. You know, twenty twelve, twenty around that era. He got his own way. You know, I mean, he was a he was a great tactician, but the Kenyans and the Ethiopians, as teams, as teammates, 
didn't work together. Yeah. They were too busy looking around, like, oh, where's Mo kind of thing. They didn't go into it with a race plan as such, or one that was meaningful and successful because it, it wasn't to an extent, apart from when Mo d- didn't manage to do the, the 5K, 10K double last time. I can't remember which year it was. 2017. 2017, there we go, yeah. When he wasn't Ed- able Edris to do won. it then. Yeah, Edris. So, yeah, I feel like if you take it to him in terms of the team and quick, he's, he's going to be put under a lot of pressure because he's not really faced that in terms of a championship race. Yeah. So it's obviously going to have to deal with it, and he's not he's not been out over a ten k like that in a while. Yeah, it's, it's going to be a shock, isn't it? Yeah, he's obviously we haven't even seen him touch the track since he left for the marathon. Never mind a championship track race. Yeah, I mean, I don't know Mo's ins and outs of his training and stuff like that, but I feel like he didn't give the marathon enough time. Yeah, how old is he now? What is he? Thirty five. Yeah, something like that. So he's he's still got a few years on the marathon. I think you can go until you like. Oh, he's thirty-seven. I didn't realize that. Um, wow. Maybe this is gonna. Maybe he'll retire. Um, and sort of just to wrap things up, really, I just want to ask you: Who are you sort of most excited about? What event or what person you're most excited about watching in the next few years, other than the likes of Jakob and things like that? Um, Brazier. Brazier, yeah. Yeah, I think, nice, I think easy. It's, it's easy question and like, oh, yeah, of course, it, it's not a different, quite unorthodox answer. It's obviously quite an obvious answer, but people would be lying if they're not excited about what he could potentially run. Yeah. Um, I just, Doha really opened that door for many athletes in terms of where he can go. Just the yep. way he finished, obviously, 142.6. Yeah, off the top of my head, I think. Yeah. It's ridiculous. And he is the person that is almost the head and shoulders above the rest in 800. As we've seen, obviously, because he destroyed that field. Absolutely I mean, obliterated that field. It was crazy. Mainly, yeah, mainly due to um, Vasquez of Costa Rica taking it out in a 48. Yeah. But again, you don't know that until you're in the race. So it's, it is amazing, I think. Yeah, I think the, the future is bright for him. Yeah, I think Brazier is definitely probably the most exciting prospect other than Jakob. And obviously, well, actually, I'd say along with Jakob, I don't think... I'd rather, in fact, I don't know. I'd, I'd probably got more excited about Brazier in the next few years, seeing yeah, what he can do. Like, yeah, because I feel like with Jakob, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from him. I don't think anyone does because obviously he's great to watch, but it's something that people have, because it, because he's had his older brothers, they've obviously been global, they've, they've been there, they're the global elites of the sport. He's had his progression tracked. His people have known about him. I mean, especially in athletics, there's a lot of that known about him because of his brothers, you know, because of teaming of Britain's documentary series. Um, but I feel like with with Brazier, we've not had, we've not seen much. I mean, we, we've seen him about he, he a couple of years ago. He obviously he didn't perform too well. Everyone he, he wasn't as a standard as much as much now, but. 
I think now he's really shown what he's capable of. Yeah, I agree. I think he's definitely the biggest prospect we have in the sport at the minute over the distances. Um, other than that, really, the other thing I'm really excited about is Bikili versus Kipchoge over the marathon, providing they actually manage to race Joe like both yeah. at their top form. That, that'd be great to watch. I think it sort of settle the marathon debate and who's the best. Because obviously yeah. Kipchoge is at the minute, but people would say Bikili is, if he beats Kipchoge and breaks the world record, everyone would be like, the Ineos, obviously, as amazing as it is, and it was amazing to see, those shoes did help him break the sub two because those were ridiculous shoes. But obviously, I'd still say Kipchoge is the greatest of all time over the marathon. But whoever wins sort of has the bragging rights, don't they, really? Yeah, I think they're both going to want to protect that. You know, the Kenya Ethiopia battle. <laughs> yeah, so it'd be great to see. Running. It's always but a battle, think, isn't it? As well as I me, mean, obviously, the race itself, I, I, I think the location would add to it as well. So, where, where would people want to see it? You know, is it Berlin so they can genuinely fight it out for the world record? Or is it in London in front of the fans? I think I'd like to see it in Berlin. I think yeah. London would be great, but at the end of the day, you're not going to... I think they could run a world record in London. Maybe. Yeah, I mean, they're that, they're that good, it's possible, but yeah, I feel like it has its pros and cons of London. I think yeah. it's not obviously known as quick as Berlin, but yeah. it's still possible. But I feel like if, you, if you're going to want to see... If you're going to want to see it as more of a world record attempt between the two at the same time, well, then Berlin is the spot, without a doubt. Yeah, but I agree. For, for genuine battles for the fans to see and witness, like the, probably the greatest marathon race of all time, well then, I feel London is the spot. Yeah, I'm not sure if we're biased because we're from the UK, but London marathon seems to be something a bit different when nothing else really has. Yeah, I feel like because obviously junior age groups, you know, many people in the UK may have heard, may have heard of the mini marathon, but yeah. we've, we've obviously been there, we've... We've we've witnessed the the crowds of London Marathon and people aren't there just to go out. You know they don't happen to come across the London Marathon. They're going out because they're passionate about it and they actually they generally want to go on because it's it's almost like a it, it's a great spectacle watch. Yeah, and it and it helps that it's in, a, in an iconic city of London. Yeah, and um, one last question is just someone who's sort of under the radar at the minute, like who do you think is the next up and coming person in the sport? Like can be over any distance, but obviously someone who's not sort of made a name for himself yet. Who are you like rooting for to be, be the next like big thing in the sport? Maybe like who hasn't really come onto like world stage yet. I'm talking like Joe, like Jemariki or Max Burry and someone like that. Um, I mean, someone, you, I mean, you've hit, You've hit a few there, you know, Gemma Riki, 157 indoors. World record could be in sights. Not world record, Olympic gold could be in sights. You know, she looks amazing. But in terms of upcoming stars, I mean, from the UK, there's so many to choose from. Josh I Lay's mean, doing bits at the minute. Scary. Yeah, I mean, I'm obviously in those age groups competing against these guys. And it's obviously exciting times. But I think moving away from UK, I think one guy in the US that could do bits is um, Cooper Starr. Yeah, great guy as well. He, he could. Yeah. He's his PBs are already absolutely crazy anyway. But yeah, I think he's got the perfect mixture of personality and also 
skill level, obviously. I think he could probably drop a very quick 5k. Yeah, and I mean, as well, he's a great setup. University of Oregon. The setup seems to be great there in Oregon, you know. Is it University of Oregon or is it University of Nike? <laughs> Who knows, you know, because it's a great place to be. Looks amazing, you know. It, it's just the environment is professional and is almost just made perfectly for distance running. Um, yeah, I think just look at the athlete. I mean, he's, he's performing well there. And I mean, him and James West tearing it up out there indoors, both of them. But I think Cooper's a bit younger, of course, and is definitely one to watch out for. I think Cooper, I've always watched and heard of it, heard his name, you know, even before he went to um, Oregon yeah. in, um, as a high schooler. I, I don't know what you call it out there. All the different terms. Sorry to you, American listeners. But um, yeah, he's one that could could be very great, you know. Obviously, currently the face of one of the faces of Ben Crawford's YouTube channel as well, which is doing bits. He's he's gonna. I'll tell you what, Ben Crawford's up next in the two hundred. See his time trial the other day. Filthy, filthy. Thirty-three was it? Yeah. Thirty-three dropped. Thirty-three, crazy. 